0: Hello and welcome to the EMS Nation podcast. I'm your host, Faison Arshad. Welcome to a very special community episode, episode number 10, where we are joined by none other than David Page of the PCRF at their annual research summit and symposium from the bitter wintry cold of Minneapolis Minnesota where several collaborators have joined together from all across the planet to take part in the pre-hospital clinical research forum annual summit where they're working hard to take evidence-based medicine to the next level in EMS education as well as research all right hello and welcome to episode 10 on the line we have none other than the illustrious and esteemed David Page from St. Paul, Minnesota, Twin Cities, coming in hot. And by hot, I mean exceedingly cold. I just came back there myself and it was a ripe 12 degrees Fahrenheit. David Page, take it away my friend. Tell us what you are up to with the PCRF Research Forum. Thank you for
1: the introduction. And obviously, we are coming to you live from the frozen tundra of Minnesota. And who comes to Minnesota in February to do research, except for really, really committed EMS professionals who can brave any kind of weather to actually get science done to advance our profession, right?
0: true dedication.
1: It is. It's true. They're all looking like I'm crazy and they're wearing their coats, but it's okay. This is t-shirt weather for us. It's not 40 below. <laughs> so um, my name is Dave Page and I'm the director of the Pre-Hospital Care Research Forum at UCLA. It's just a, a proud day for me because uh, it's great to have this podcast. Not many people know about the PCRF, first of all, the Pre-Hospital Care Research Forum. So if you want to find us, uh, we have a series of podcasts. We have a journal club that we love people to join. And www.pcrfpodcasts.org. Dr. Ashad here is wanting me to give my Twitter handle, which I'm really a Neanderthal at, but it's at David Page or hashtag David Page.
0: I think at David Page is the right way to go about it. And uh, let's take a moment and really acknowledge the PCRF podcast because you guys are doing amazing things. So certainly log on to iTunes and subscribe and their website is just fantastic. I think we should just mention briefly this past week, you guys had none other than Dr. Nichols on the podcast discussing the randomized uh, double-blind placebo-controlled trial comparing continuous chest compressions versus the uh, 30 to 2 model highly controversial study let's not spoil the surprise but definitely log on and download that podcast and participate and this coming Monday I'm going to join on as well as cognitive loading in simulation
1: yeah, it's really an exciting podcast and we're trying to get the authors to join in it kind of fits into the mission of the PCRF which is to educate people about research get EMS professionals to do more research and to disseminate their research at uh, venues that are appropriate like clinical research abstracts presented at EMF today and educational research that that gets presented at the National Association of EMS Educators, NEMSE. Truly um, you know why why we're here in in the frozen tundra of Minnesota to do research is because of the generosity of FISDAP. Uh, This is the quote FISDAP Research Summit. EMS professionals, educators particularly and representatives of the National Association of EMS Educators. This year Alan Batt has joined us as the representative from NEMSE but we we assemble about uh, 50 people, and it's kind of researched by instant gratification, we have an open IRB uh, to uh, prospectively collect data with a database called FISDAP. Paramedic students enter their experiences, and we track their scores on written exams, entrance exams, and the experiences and, and types of patients that they see in the field, the hospital, and in lab both simulation and just task training to individual skills. So it's all collected, and then once a year, educators who are having their students collect the data come to Minnesota, and we flood the room with resources. So we have developers that can do queries into the database and pull the kind of inf- kinds of information we want. We have statisticians and psychometricians who are there in the room listening to what what each group wants to study. And then we have people with editorial backgrounds who can help craft the abstract. So by the end of the weekend, we hope to have at least four to six, sometimes even eight abstracts that are either finished or just about to be finished. It's intended to be for for novice researchers, although we have really experienced researchers with us today, but just people who don't know much about the research process to come and learn about it by doing it instead of by uh, sort of theoretically talking about research. So I hope that frames a little bit about what the FISDAP Research Summit is about. We're we're here at uh, Health Partners Headquarters. They're the parent to Regions Hospital, which is a level one trauma center. They also provide research associates and assistants that come in to help with the abstracts. And we have one today here. Dylan is going to represent Health Partners. But we are also in debt to Ascend, PhysDAP, obviously, for sponsoring this and, and paying for all of the, they feed us well here, et cetera. So without further ado, if you agree... We'd, we'd like to kind of just tell you what some of the groups are working on in terms of sort of the structure of the research summit and maybe some of the
0: experiences so far that people have had with the data that they're they're gathering. Do you, do you think that's a good idea? I think that's an amazing amount of productivity in a short period of time. Just a couple of questions for you, Dave. How many years have You've been doing this with PCRF and the Research Forum, and what are some of the projects that have come out of it, both in terms of clinical relevance as well as tools to help educators optimize the experience with their students?
1: Great question. So it's the 11th year. I've lost track of the number of abstracts and papers. That's really bad because I should probably have that for a podcast, but we at one point had over 40 abstracts. And obviously in 11 years, we've done uh, quite a bit of interesting work. I think uh, some of the fascinating work has been around team leadership and whether or not paramedic students are actually meeting the goals of the curriculum, how many hours it, it really takes to be out there to get the kinds of experiences that people need to get through paramedic school. But there's been incredible work linking or corroborating correlating uh, clinical experiences, particularly ambulance experience, to critical thinking ability. That was uh, Ron Lawler's project, who's actually sitting here with us today. He can tell us a little bit about the kinds of ambulance calls and contacts that improve critical thinking. And so I don't want to steal his thunder. Some people have been back multiple years. Keith, who's here with us, Keith Widmeyer, did a project on how many and what kinds of team leaders and team leadership experiences and preceptor exposure. So less preceptors, exposure to fewer preceptors means people will lead calls, more calls, and they'll get to team leadership proficiency faster. In the case of preceptors, less is more. So there's been tons of those kinds of really cool projects, just about the kind of exposures people have. As people talk about the ones they're doing this year, you'll hear a little bit of what they're planning. And
0: I think that that might be interesting. That's fantastic. So without further ado, let's go to the project leaders.
2: Hey, Fuzan. This is Kelly Walsh. Hi, Kelly Walsh. How are you? Well, thank you. Good. So um, our group, decided to take a slightly different approach versus looking at a clinical area of content. Kelly, will you just
0: uh, just introduce yourself, tell uh, EMS Nation where you're from and your title and your role?
2: Sure. So I am from Peoria, Illinois. I am the EMS Academy Program Director for a, a paramedic program, which is actually, uh, by full title, is the Creighton University Advanced Medical Transport of Central Illinois Paramedic Consortium. Very large mouthful of stuff. <laughs> I am the uh, the program director for that consortium that exists as a collaboration between our private ambulance service training center and Creighton University. This is my first year at the summit. Our group is extremely dynamic, and we isolated uh, an area of content that multiple people were interested in, which has to do about student success. There is thought process that surrounds How long do you let a student go, or how often do you potentially let them fail before they are removed from a program? Some areas, obviously, are more difficult than others, so I can tell you that we have already been able to reference programs where if you fail a single exam, you are dismissed from the program. That happens in handfuls of of allied health professions but it's viewed upon in a couple of different manners. So we wanted to kind of investigate that further and find out that if you were to, for instance, let a student fail a unit exam or a particular content area, could that student still go on and be successful? For instance, just because you don't do well in one particular subsection doesn't mean that you're not going to be a successful paramedic. And we wanted to see if we could actually find that point where we say, yes, a student can actually still be successful, um, but also then, as a, as a secondary result, being able to isolate where you can actually find kind of, for lack of better terms, a sweet spot where the student will not be successful And that's the time in which that, um, you know, potentially we should consider dismissal. Lots of moving pieces with that. There's handfuls of different interpretations that could be made from the data that we've already seen so far and uh, very, very interesting types of content, uh, stuff that I was highly surprised at actually coming out of it this morning. So uh, we're looking forward to kind of pushing forward and seeing what all we end up uh, coming up with.
0: That sounds really interesting. How are you guys defining uh, the ultimate success of the student in your study?
2: So we are looking actually at the successful pass of what is called the paramedic readiness exam. Mm. It is a, um, a comprehensive exam that in most programs, is a, it's a FISDAP exam, which is administered at the end of a program, basically right either before or around graduation, uh, when you would be anticipating for that student to then be moving on to take either their state licensing exam or their uh, national registry exam. It's a comprehensive 200-question you know all inclusive type of exam and we're basing success on the the passing of that exam.
0: I understand. And are there other studies that go on to validate passing that exam and clinical competency?
1: That exam has been correlated to national registry pass rates. If you're looking for sort of outcomes, the terminal measures this group is pulling only data that is for students who are have graduated from a program. So instructor has to have said they successfully graduated from the program, not just passed that one.
2: It's really looking at something that we know students have not been successful in subunit exams, right, so particular areas of content, that yet have still been able to successfully complete, but not only the program, but then move forward graduate program, and then uh, we're actually looking at how many of the students uh, have successful completion of the, the National registry exam as
0: well. That sounds amazing. Very exciting. I can't wait to hear your results.
2: Fantastic.
0: We, How many have, people are in your
2: we have six, seven, excuse me. We have seven EMF educators and then we have we have a psychometrician and a couple of facilitators. I think there's twelve of us all together.
1: Yeah.
3: So we yeah. try and kind of do a think tank approach. Oh and, yeah. It's
2: fantastic.
3: Um, all right, Dylan. Hey, so this is Dylan Kratsky. I'm one of the critical care research interns at Regent's Hospital within the Health Partners System. Uh, this year, our group was really focused on pulling something out of the mountain of data that FISDAP gave us, um, and looking at the way that we really treat patients. So one of the major focuses uh, we had was looking at some of the empathy data that. effective domain traits that paramedics showed when they took their entrance exam that FISDAP gave them. Uh, We were really curious to see how that correlated with sort of how they treated patients and in what ways that it it correlated with uh, different treatments or interventions that they provided. We decided that the best way to approach this was uh, actually looking at their treatment of behavioral patients and and looking at uh, whether or not they decided to use physical or chemical restraints on them. Uh, We really thought that if a a provider was showing certain traits of empathy or lower empathy scores in their entrance exam, that they would probably be or they would have a propensity to restrain patients more often. And the last thing people want to be is treated like a piece of meat on a table, especially if they're in the middle of sort of a, a behavioral emergency. So we were really curious to see if there's a, a way that we can change our approach to training students, especially when they're treating uh, behavioral issues, uh, just a. Show patients a little more respect and empathy? And, and are we overusing or, or possibly even underutilizing restraints during patient care? So, so far, our data uh, looks like we are getting some good results, and it's really interesting to see how this is going to turn out for us. That's really exciting, Dylan. Uh, the affective domain
0: is something that I think is gaining a lot more interest amongst educators and medical directors as well. And sort of understanding the interplay and the effect that can have on clinical care is a very valuable area that needs to be explored. So we're really
3: excited to hear the results of that study. Yeah, and hopefully we can sort of change the way that we're we're training medics and get them to treat patients in a different way that hopefully changes the, the perception especially with behavioral emergencies that there's no way to treat them other than sort of chain them to a bed and bring them to a hospital. Amazing, thank you so much. Good morning,
4: this is uh, Ron Lawler I'm a director of EMS Education for Sanford Health. I actually work for three different groups Sanford Health, FM Ambulance in Fargo, North Dakota and yes, it's actually more frozen than Minneapolis. <laughs> there's more tundra out there, less trees and I work for uh, North Dakota State College of Science. That's our consortium sponsor for all of our uh, initial education programs. This is my seventh year at the summit. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure why. Uh, It's punishment or something. I'm not sure. (laughs) And actually, it's going to be quite a competitive process to keep coming to these things. So uh, uh, last year, I volunteered to be a group leader just in the hopes that they would uh, take me and I'd get to come here anyway, whether it was competitive or not. (laughs) I think that's actually, actually punishing myself more by being a group facilitator, but I get to keep coming, which is nice. David had mentioned one of the previous abstracts that I was working on was looking at critical thinking, and I think that's something that all of us as educators uh, that are here struggle with. How do we get students not just to pass exams, but be able to be good thinkers in the field? And a lot of the stuff that we're looking at, while well, it may have clinical applications or education applications, we really want to have practitioners that can take care of patients on their own. You know, when you're out there by yourself, you don't have... Uh, anybody to fall back on I want to be able to get that critical thinking component in there and the one that i did a few years ago was basically the the more obtuse the call or abstract the call the better the critical thinking of the students so if you expose them to abdominal pain for instance or just some, some kind of random respiratory issue they had to think through the entire diagnostic tree to figure out what was wrong with that patient it's a lot harder to call than running a code you, we, we can train this about anybody to run a code but Getting them to kind of figure out what's going on with that abdominal painter is, is difficult. And so that abstract was looking at, you know, if you can expose your students to those kinds of patients, you're going to have a better time with them. This year, uh, the group that I'm in uh, is actually working off of a, a different abstract of mine, actually, which is embarrassing. And we're looking at how to maximize. I'm gesturing with my hands, by the way. So if you can't see that on the podcast, just imagine that. <laughs> I'm gesturing with my hands. Our students have finite amount of time to spend in our program. They have to spend part of that in didactic, part of that in homework, part of that in lab, hospitals, and in the field. And when we're looking at that critical thinking aspect again, is there some combination, some way to say you should spend more time in the field, more time in the hospital, or more time in the clinical? And what does that really affect towards your critical thinking scores later? And you know, as as Kelly was mentioning earlier, we can re- we can relate that critical thinking score to national registry pass rate, which we hope relates to actual competence in the field. And since the Portfolio project has becoming a big thing in, in, in recent years, and as will become mandatory. The previous research just looked at hospital versus field. Now we want to add that lab component in, and it might be a little soon yet. And we're going to find out with our data poll if that's going to actually be enough data for us to say it or not. Mm-hmm. But we're really interested to see, you know, should we be spending more time in lab and less time in the hospital, or vice versa? You know, is this lab thing really what we want to be doing and spending time with, and obligating our students' time with, rather than sending them off to do something somewhere else where they can do Patients. You know, there's a lot of research out there on how simulation is the greatest thing, and it will mimics uh, effectively enough that we can do that rather than in the hospital. I'm not sure. We're going to find out what the science says. So really getting
0: into the nitty-gritty of the learning modality and exactly what that can offer to the student rather than guessing or assuming uh, the skills that are transferred or relayed.
4: Right. Well, over the years, we moving away from the, the you know 1976. You need to spend X hours in the truck, X hours in the hospital. More towards that skills competency. Well, you know it's hard to hard to measure critical thinking without using exams. But maybe if we look at that and say you need to do this kind of prescription for critical thinking. And it's not necessarily skills-based, but it's patient encounter based And where you get that patient encounter should matter. And you want to spend more time in one environment over the other to get that, we should be having that as a a, a tool, a sliding scale of some sort that says you spend X patient contacts in this environment, you should expect this kind of critical thinking student at the end uh, so that we can maximize those areas and minimize the others so they're not spending all this time in uh, one environment that's not benefiting them. And that's really the goal is we don't want to have people doing a thousand hours in one area and they really only should spend 50 because it's not after that 50. They're not benefiting any further. Uh, and so that's what we're trying to do.
0: Fascinating. I think it ties well, too, with debunking of the 10,000 hours, which was commonly hearkened as a requisite need in order to gain mastery. And really now we're learning that it's not necessarily the Number of hours, but rather the experience that leads up to it that confers mastery of a subject. So very interesting.
5: It's Keith Widmeyer um, from the University of Cincinnati, and Twitter handle is MICU Paramedic, or you can follow us at UC Emergency EMS and Dave asked me to talk about the research summit itself. Uh, I've been coming for, I think this is my sixth year now, and it's just been um, an incredible experience. It's really opened my eyes as to what's out there and what can be done. When I first started coming here, um, before I was working um, in the university setting, I was a training officer for an ambulance service, and it was really difficult to Reach that research barrier. You know, we didn't have IRB, we didn't have any of the academic resources that were available. And coming to the research summit here, as I was working on my undergraduate to get my bachelor's and continued with my master's, it was just so many doors opened up, and I had such a better understanding of how to do research and what was out there. And I learned, you know, how to interpret research, and it was just, it was eye-opening. I've gotten a chance to do some really great research here. Uh, One of my studies is the Eureka points with team leads. That study actually looked at where a paramedic student becomes terminally competent as a team lead. If you recall the previous... The NSC standards, they used to say 50, they used to to say you had to have 50 patient contacts to be competent, and we discovered that not everybody was reaching terminal competency at that point. So what we utilized was a Eureka point. Uh, They had to be successful 18 out of 20 consecutive attempts as a team lead, and we found out that only about 60 percent we're reaching that mark at the 50 contact range. We had some people reaching it at 20, but, you know, not everybody was reaching it by 50. So we were releasing providers into the field who were not truly terminally competent at that point as a team leader. And that was huge and it's being affiliated with this group and coming to this summit, you know, being able to do that, it's been amazing and it's actually that research that I got to do and present at Nemzé Symposium, and that abstract was actually cited by Coams for their in the, their standard, so and for their interpretation, and that was just a huge honor. And then the other big thing about the research summit is getting a chance to um, network with EMS nerds, you know, just all of us, all of us EMS nerds from around the world. I mean, there, there's people from everywhere and it's amazing and refreshing to find people that are as passionate and excited about the industry and what we can do from all over. And we, we all have the same problems. We all have the, we're all trying to do the same things and we share our solutions we share, you know, we've, we come up with solutions and so many great ideas have developed from just sitting around uh, the dinner table around here or just talking with these people. It's It's been an amazing experience. And I mean, Dave, Mike, all the zappers, it's just been absolutely wonderful to it's been an honor to be able to come back so many times.
0: Keith, uh, your passion is certainly coming through loud and clear, and I want to applaud you. And I also want to recognize you because since we have you on the line, we have to let the people know that you just had an article published in EMS Today, incorporating social media into EMS education, kicking it with your foamies. Can you tell us a little bit about that, bud?
5: That uh, is um, it's a presentation I'm doing at EMS Today on... Uh... February 26th is the day I'm doing it. It's just pretty much talking about the positives of social media. I was so tired of everybody talking about, you know, we can't use social media. It's horrible. Everybody's going to use it wrong. You know, so we just might as well ban it completely. And I I was so horrified by that thought. And I think that we have a responsibility and a duty to teach our students about responsible social media use and teaching them how to utilize it in their career and, continue going forward with that because i mean with foam and with all of the opportunities out there it really promotes lifelong learning and that's that's the goal of any good educator is to not only create a a competent and proficient student but someone that wants to continue learning and then when you're doing things like foam and you're staying up with that if you can pass it on to your students it's it's Amazing, you know we're doing. We're talking about a few different things Uh, with my bachelor students. I do film Ed Fridays where they all have to put something in there. Our social media pages we try to just keep it updated with our alumni as well as. You know, our students and just different ideas. So that sounds awesome.
0: You are on a mission, my friend. We wish you the best of luck. And we're certainly going to link to your upcoming presentation in the show notes and help you get the word out there. Because as you know, EMS Nation strongly believes in the power of foam in EMS education. So thank you so much.
6: Awesome. Thank you very much, sir. Hi, Faison. It's Christiana from New York.
0: Hi, Christiana.
6: How are you? I am also, in addition, like yourself, being a paramedic, I'm an adjunct professor at Westchester Community College. I do, though, want to take the time to say thank you. And just to piggyback off of what Keith said, even the introduction of social media to EMS, I think is a hallmark compared to where we were and where we are now. So I want to compliment you because this podcast idea, I have never even... Heard of it prior to coming to this event and meeting with you, and I can't wait to return to my social media at Kissadiva K I S S A D I V A to actually tag you in almost everything EMS related because if I didn't know about it, and I think I'm pretty well uh, in tune. I wonder how many other of our fellows did not know of it as well. And I think to put this out there to those that do not know is going to be very uh, complementary to this field in and of itself. As it relates, so thank you for that, Faison. Thank you, Christiana. As it relates to my participation in my group, we actually decided amongst all of the uh, deliberation for the many ideas that we did come up with to convene on pain management disparities in the pre-hospital setting across gender, race, and age. And in doing so, hopefully identify the uh, variables that affect the administration of analgesics in the pre-hospital setting, as well as any bias, if any, which as I'm sure you know, has already been identified in our prior research. That sounds
0: really appropriate. And I think. The- Pain management is an area which we really need to flush out and get the details on how to optimize it pre-hospitally. There's a lot that we can do better both in assessment as well as the delivery of effective pain management. Absolutely,
6: and I think more so what we want to do is identify the variables that contribute to either the lack thereof as it relates to the different categories, be it gender, uh, race and um, age because there is a disparity as far as yes or no to whom receives these uh, medication administrations and I think once we can identify these variables, we can provide a higher level
0: of care across the board. Fantastic, thank you. Hi, thank you for having me, Feizan. Hi, Fazan. it's uh, Alan Bat. How are you? Alan, so you're my social media and phone brother, but we have never yet met in person. I'm looking forward to a EMS gathering
7: and smack dub. Yeah, which I'm going to use this to shamelessly plug some of those. Please things do, my friend. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so my name's Alan Bash, for those who don't know me. Um, I'm originally an Irish trained paramedic, uh, currently working in Canada after a couple of stops along the way in the Middle East and the US and around Europe. I'm currently faculty in the paramedic programs in Fanshawe College in London, uh, in Ontario. And a paramedic educator with Hamilton Health Sciences, which I've just started. I bring kind of, you know, things from different countries into places. And that's kind of what I found about the FISDAP the Summit, is that it's great to finally meet some people from, you know, another country people who are interested in EMS research, people who are interested in education and to spend some time basically sitting around chatting with them. So I'm here representing NEMC. NEMC have kindly supported me by sending me here to this, uh, to this uh, year's event. And it's, it's great to finally meet some, some educators who are interested in actually looking at what we do and why we do it. So outside of the group projects that have just been discussed, we have started a sideline project as well. So myself and David have, for some reason, drawn another research project on ourselves. Uh, <laughs> where we're going to look at Using the PhysDAP database, we're going to look and see what type of calls are paramedics being exposed to, so student paramedics, um, in particular with over 65-year-old patients. Because our hypothesis is that quite a large percentage of the workload of a student paramedic is dealing with elderly patients, and then we want to see how does the curriculum actually reflect that. We're all about evidence-based practice and evidence-based medicine, but really we should be looking at evidence-based education as well. So if we're spending you know, a disproportionate amount of our time dealing with elderly patients, then the education surrounding care of elderly patients should be, you know, more inclusive and more expansive, yeah. um, and that's that's a sideline project that we've started from being here.
0: Certainly, I think you know studying the educational components and really there's no magic number. So if you can qualify and quantify the experience necessary to reach competency.
7: Exactly. And that's one of the things that we, we've looked at is, okay, you know, there are only certain metrics we can use, like hours of exposure and things like that, but if we can safely say that the vast majority of a student paramedics workload is elderly patients, then we need to take a serious look at our curricula and say, actually, why do we spend this amount of time on resuscitation when actually the vast majority of calls that people are exposed to are in a completely different area? Hmm. and. We'll, I mean we'll work it out as we go through it but it's exciting to kind of get this launched and started we're, we're pretty excited about that so other stuff I've, I'll probably see you at SMAC no doubt in, in June absolutely uh, before that we have the EMS gathering so another chance for EMS geeks and nerds to meet and socialize and, and learn some stuff um, so there's there's a lot of stuff coming up and I feel that the kind of foam movement in particular and going back to Keith's point about social media and including social media and paramedic education I think is actually quite important. We've just had an abstract submitted to SMAC and accepted for a poster presentation which will look at the foam EMS hashtag and how it's being used and what percentage of the resources that are tweeted using that hashtag are actually referenced and what categories they're in. So I'm working with a student paramedic in Fanshawe College called Paige Mason, um, and we're looking at what categories are we sharing information about, is it reference material that we're sharing, and how is that actually influencing paramedics. So one of the things we found is that from the top 92 tweeters of Foam EMS, over 50% of them are paramedics. If we were to extract about 4,000 people have engaged with the hashtag uh, to date, um, then that means, you know, if we were to extrapolate it, we have probably 2,000 paramedics talking to each other using this hashtag internationally and sharing best practice and and sharing research findings and educational resources. So uh, I think it has a huge potential to play a big part in in paramedic education.
0: I completely agree. And that's interesting. So 4,000 unique providers or individuals have engaged with the hashtag Foam EMS.
7: Is that what you're saying? The last review I did of the numbers, which we used as the basis for the submission, there were 35 million impressions of Foam EMS since it's... Registration. So I registered it in February 2014. So we're looking at two years of data basically. 35 million impressions, which I think over 40, maybe 35 to 40,000 tweets. Uh, from about 4,000 people. It has momentum and it's it's getting there. It's, it's building every month, basically. Absolutely. And I think
0: it really goes to show that we're re- uh, just at the tip of the iceberg. The number of providers that have still yet to be connected to social media and sort of embrace the educational opportunity
7: is the majority. Yeah, and that's the sort of second abstract I had accepted for SMAC, we looked at, um, so through the Centre for Pre-Hospital Research in in University of Limerick in Ireland, we looked at how do Irish paramedics use social media and online learning for continuing professional competency and development. And we found some really interesting results that perhaps education needs to change slightly to reflect. So we found the vast majority of Irish paramedics have a Facebook account, but not a Twitter account. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if we want to engage with them on social media, we need to approach them in the right channels. And then there are some, you know, Barriers and and things like that to social media use, uh, some misconceptions maybe that need to be clarified. Um, some really interesting data came from that, and we'll be presenting that at SMAC as well in poster format. So um, it'll be pretty good to kind of get people to perform similar studies in their countries and in their settings and see, you know, a paramedic in Ireland might use social, dif- uh, social media completely differently to an Australian paramedic or an American paramedic. And we need to figure out how that works and how it fits into the education system. Fantastic. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me, Faizan.
1: I'm in awe of all of the incredible ideas and the incredible people who come here. It's just a humbling experience to have this many great people and from all over the world. It's uh, it's it's such a pleasure. Uh, we have people here from University of Sunshine Coast. Bill Lord is here. Um, Dr. Lord has a PhD. He's done a lot of publishing on pain, and here he is studying, you know, pain management and and our approach to pain here. And similarly, I'm impressed that. Uh, Dr. Brett Williams, another PhD paramedic, is here. He's been on fire studying how empathy interrelates with education and simulation and care. And Dr. Williams is here all the way from Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Absolutely. Uh, It's just a a great pleasure. I'm, I'm uh, trying to get my PhD from there. It's a, a phenomenal institution and they're really backing this this whole idea. So it's been a great ride. Lots of really fascinating, very smart people thinking about uh, future projects. So Alan's idea to study uh, geriatrics were it's a kind of a mixed methods we're going to look look at what students are tracking but then we're going to ask instructors what they're doing and then hopefully intervene in, a, in an interventional project and see if we can change some of that and that's what research does it just you know spawns further ideas to proliferate more research and and create researchers I, I hope Christiana actually uh, does her PhD and uh, it excites people to do stuff that's fun and uh, those people who think it's all about numbers and uh, and boring things come to come to life when they're in a, in a think tank like environment that are they're surrounded by people who are excited about the topic and arguing and discussing and and moving you know science really using science and evidence to move the profession forward instead of just guessing so we're lucky to have such great people.
0: Dave, thank you so much. I think I would like to take a moment to acknowledge you for your efforts. Your humility is eclipsed only by your charm and you are on a mission. Your mission is uh, ringing true. And I think there's a global call, you know, sort of transform the image of EMTs and paramedics as simple ambulance drivers to true professionals, to true healthcare professionals. And I think your effort with PCRF going 11 years strong, engaging folks in academic work, research, teaching them the methodologies, the basics, and even the interpretation of how to critically appraise a study, is advancing our entire field all across the world. So a sincere thanks, Dave Page, for everything that you do. Thank you. And also, I think after this podcast, there are going to be a lot of folks through the powers of social media are going to say, hey, this is right up my alley. I think this is a great interest of mine and I would like to participate in PCRF. So can you tell folks a little bit about how they can join, how they should sign up for the webinar that's done on a monthly basis? You know, there's lots of ways people can
1: participate with the PCRF. You can definitely tune into the podcast and ask questions and read the journal article. You can just listen or bring your entire paramedic class. We have several colleges and universities. Santa Fe Community College in New Mexico has their entire paramedic class, along with Keith Minoski in Washington has his paramedic class tune in, Creighton. So you can listen or ask questions or propose that we review a particular article. The Gems Research Review column at, at Gems.com. We always review that article, and we add other articles on top of that. But if you have an article that you think we should review, and you want to co-author the review, I'm very collaborative and, and open to that, and would love all the help in in identifying what the research is that's shaping our profession and what uh, EMTs and paramedics should pay attention to and critically evaluate. You know, there's some studies here about wild claims about ALS
0: versus BLS and cardiac arrest. To outcomes that wild, wild claims, crazy, crazy, crazy wrong, but by researchers who have no basis in EMS nor understand medicine, yeah.
1: So, you know, people need to critically evaluate what their, what their world is, and that's what the PCRF really is about, is teaching people how to do that and participating. But you can become a PCRF associate, and so there's an application to do that, and by joining us, uh, evaluate the research and participate in it. But I'm just going to issue a, a, a challenge. I'm going to throw down the gauntlet and say okay. the, the FISDAP Research Summit is just one event, and we get over 100 applicants just even in the first hour that, we, that it opens, the applications open. And I, I want to get some of the people who are holding databases in our world, the, the electronic PCR manufacturers, the ePCR groups that have data that have the developers who can pull the data for us to host a summit like this in which we can get bright minds of EMS, operations people who are doing great work out there and don't normally do research, to really think about evidence-based practices in in EMS operations and get together and and have the support of those entities to to create a research summit. And PCRF wants to support that and, and make it occasional for people starting with the resources and be assertive and successful. And I'm sure that there are listeners out there that would want to publish their own abstracts and their own topics and their own uh, interests that if facilitated could actually achieve great, great things for our profession. And and that's what we're about, is just giving them the tools so that they can do that.
0: Amazing. Challenge has been issued. So everyone that is listening, talk to your PCR manufacturers and say, share your data. Dave Page and the facilitators from the annual PCRF Research Summit in Minnesota. Thank you so much for joining, guys. Thank you, Faisad. Have a great day. All right. Cheers, guys. Enjoy the rest of the day.